Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 28. If you haven't already, Matthew chapter 28. And as you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that our, we are, can be a people that rejoice. Rejoice in the work of their son. God, rejoice that he has not only taken the burden of our sins, but God, that he has been raised from the dead. And no longer shall we fear death. No longer shall we have this great enemy looming over us. But God, this great enemy has been killed. We thank you for the work of your son. God, we thank you for your word that we don't have to Look to any other source, God. We don't have to look to the trees or to the mountains for you to fully reveal yourself, but you have given us your word. And so it is under your word that we will humble ourselves and come below it, God, and ask that you would work through it to transform us in our hearts that we might further reflect and be conformed into the image of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. When I was about eight years old, my brother and I were going to go across the street to go play in the hayloft of the neighbor's farm. And you go up top there above where the cows are being milked, and they had in this arch rafters a long rope hanging down. Now, if you're a boy, this is a place of great bravado in which you're able to tell others how great you are, but then also a place that will test your bravery as well. We're going to go across, but then we looked out our front window of our house, and the clouds in the sky were not blue, but they were black. And flames were pouring out of the side of this beautiful old barn. 
So we put our boots on, we run across the street, and as you imagine, there's chaos, animals running everywhere. And soon we find out and we hear that one of my dearest friends, a neighbor boy, was trapped inside as the barn was burning. Yes. See, every story, every story needs an ending, right? Same thing with Christ. The story is incomplete. If you just tell of how great he was, the miracles that he did, or even his crucifixion, the story is entirely incomplete without the resurrection. Just so I can have your attention, the boy turned out fine. His uncle went in, ran through the barn as it was burning, scooped it up, kicked a hole in the side of the barn, and out they went. Got him. The story of Christ is incomplete without the resurrection. I would even say your life, the story of your own life, is incomplete without the resurrection. Just as a top will spin on one little point, so does the meaning of your life. And all of its substance spin on this one point of the resurrection of Christ. If it's not true, nothing can sustain you. If it's not true, you have no hope whatsoever. But in the resurrection, and in the resurrection alone, you will see that all of your fears all of your joy, all of your hope, all of your worship, they can all be sustained and taken care of. So with that in mind, let's, let's kind of talk about where we're going to go. Obviously, the main point is Christ is risen. Amen. <laughs> Christ is risen. When you read this text, you must know and cherish and love the fact that Christ is risen. And in him, as Adam had just prayed, in him you will be raised as well. Christ is risen. Cherish that, know that, love that. How, what are we going to see here in the text? Well, first you're going to see that Mary and Mary, they come. And they come expecting to behold death. They don't come to the tomb expecting it to be empty. That's not it at all. They come to the tomb mourning, expecting to behold death and a tomb filled. That's verses 1 through 4. But thankfully, in verses 5 through 7, we're going to see that they, although they came to see the tomb and mourn and weep, they see that the tomb is empty, and that is proclaimed to them. Verses 5 through 7, then 8 through 10 here. What's their response? What should your response be? You come to Christ mourning and weeping, thinking there's no hope, and then you see that the tomb is empty. What is their response? What's their natural response to that is worship. That's what you're going to see in verses 8, 9, and 10. So they come to the tomb expecting to see death. They see that it is empty. And it drives them towards humble worship. Let's go through in our text here now. Verses 1. Now, after the Sabbath... 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, uh, the mother of James the Less, one of the other disciples, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. What a week it's been for these disciples and for these women who have been serving and following Christ for all of these years. Much like your own life. The greatest of joys and anticipations are usually coupled with sorrow, despair, anguish. Just think, go through the week. On Sunday, they come in to these great shouts of the, the arrival of the king. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not even allowing his cold to touch the ground, throwing their tunics and whatever they have on the floor, waving palm branches. That's on Sunday. Then on Monday, he goes into the temple and establishes his dominion by cleansing the temple and casting them out. Tuesday is spent back at the temple teaching them. For many who have been following him, this is perhaps some of the last teaching that he's had. And he gives the woes to the Pharisees again and again and again to call them towards repentance. On Wednesday, he's so beautifully anointed with oil for an alabaster jar. Although she doesn't know it, Christ knows. She's anointing me for my burial. She's preparing me for what is to come. On Thursday, the Last Supper is, is being held, and you can see in the story the darkness begin to come in and surround them. And he breaks the bread, and he tells them that this bread is broken, but it is my body and the blood that is, will be shed is this cup of the new covenant. And Christ goes out and prays for the will of God to be done in Gethsemane. And as he's praying for that, the disciples who say, we will never leave you, they're sleeping, sleeping away. And praying for the will of God to be done, and then what did they begin to hear is the mustard tread of the of the temple guard coming, and that faint sound now presents themselves before them. And Christ is tortured and mocked. He's run through these sham trials. And the darkness of night that has now fully enveloped them, and then he's crucified. But it's no wonder that Mary Magdalene and this other Mary would come to the tomb expecting to see nothing but the signs of death. Their hearts are broken. Have you ever been there? Have you ever placed all of your trust, all of your hope in something and then watch it fail? It's, they think that's what they have in Christ. He's not just an acquaintance for them or a friend. No, he's the one whom they've followed so faithfully and placed all of their hope and trust in him. 
I tell him, you've told me to follow you. I'll follow you. I'll go anywhere you want. You're going to Jerusalem? I'll go with you to Jerusalem. And then in, in an omission that I've lost everything and all my hope is still in you, I'm going to come to this tomb and I'm going to mourn and weep. And in this great act of devotion, amazing devotion, these ladies come. I come and see the tomb. Look at the text. When do, when do they come? Towards the dawn of the first day. After the Sabbath, the sixth day, and the day of rest, along with the first lights of the first day. It is the first day when God begins his great work of creation in Genesis, and so then it's no surprise that here he begins to work again on the first day. On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light shining out in the darkness. And then here on the first day, we have the first lights of the resurrection begin to shine out of the darkness of the tomb. The first lights of the first creation, and now the first lights of the new creation as well. So brothers and sisters, don't lose hope. Never lose hope. Darkness is enveloping them and surrounding them. But the first lights of God's redeeming grace are already shining. And they will always shine. And they will never, ever be overcome. It's this first day of a new creation, but it's also the third day. Friday, Saturday, now Sunday morning of this third day. And it's no accident it's all part of God's sovereign plan. You read in Hosea 6, Come, let us return to the Lord. One of the most beautiful texts in the Old Testament. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he might bind us up. He has wounded us that he might bandage us. He will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up. God's sovereign hand has been working on this plan ever since Genesis, even before Genesis 1. This is the beautiful plan to redeem you if you place your trust in Him and in Him alone. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So rather than death, they come and they see the work of God. Christ could have easily rolled back the stone himself, but he sends down an angel flaming down who's radiant, but he's just reflecting the glory of God. He's not a source of light. He's just reflecting the light of the glory of God. And even that is enough to what? For fear of him that guards trembled and became like dead men. They have no response other than that of great fear. The resurrection of Christ will always be this. It'll be the fount of joy for those who love and trust in God. But it will bring great terror to his enemies. I'll tell you this. If you don't believe in Christ, if you don't believe in God, the resurrection is the worst thing that has ever happened to you. 
So these women, Mary and Mary, they come to the tomb prepared to mourn, prepared to see death. But they see something else. They see this great angel. And what does the angel say to them? Let's, let's go to the text here in verse 5. Read with me here. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. If you're looking for a dead Christ, you will not find him. Was he crucified? Absolutely. Was he dead? Yes, he was, temporarily. But if you're looking for a dead Christ, you will not find him. You shall look, you shall look no longer for the dead among the living. For the living among the dead. Then comes this great announcement. He is not here. He is risen. He is risen just as he said. So he's not here. The, the tomb was necessary. But his body would not remain there so as to see decay. You see that in the Psalm of David, Psalm 16. When David writes, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One your holy one, your anointed one, to undergo decay. You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Even for you, brothers and sisters, the tomb is not the permanent resting place. Our earthen homes there below the dirt are temporary shelters meant to hold us there for just a little while. If you're in Christ, just a little while until Christ comes again and we have our resurrected bodies. The empty tomb of Christ is amazing, but if you're in Christ, your tomb will be empty as well. That is glorious. But he's not here. Well, what happened? Well, he's, he's risen. His body wasn't stolen. You're going to hear that rumor. But his body wasn't stolen. He is actually, he is risen. So from now, up until now, the curse of death has been looming over all of God's creation. Everyone has been subject to God and subject to death. There's no way around it. But now in Christ... You see this new creation coming up. He's risen. He's conquered death. And not just spiritually, but bodily resurrection as well. This is a truth worth dying for, right? The bodily resurrection of Christ. As, as humans, we're not just spirits or just body. We're, we're embodied souls. And so for Christ to redeem all of us, Christ is... Physically, his body has risen from the dead. Not just spiritually, but physically as well. The, the disciples, they didn't see this coming at all. 
Maybe, maybe a resurrection in the second coming, but someone to rise from the dead and come out of the tomb. Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen. This is what brings salvation as well. Christ cannot, and you cannot be saved uh, apart from the resurrection. In the cross, there is no salvation. Just in the cross alone. It's insufficient to bring salvation. We need it. You need the cross and you need the resurrection. You need both. We can't have a resurrection from the dead and no punishment of sin. What am I going to be saved from? No, there's a great punishment from sin that will demand all of your life and everything that you have unless it's given to Christ. And in Christ, he has the resurrection from the dead. That in you, if you place all of your hope and trust, everything in Christ, then you too will be raised from the dead. Don't forget the cross. Don't forget the resurrection. Wed them together. But all of this has come. Just as he said. Again, this isn't new. At all. It's not just been in the Old Testament, Hosea and everywhere else. No, it's been part of Christ's message. We're in Matthew here for this, uh, these Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and now Easter. We're in Matthew. And three times, very explicitly, Matt chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20, he's made it very clear to them. From that time, Matthew writes Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and to be killed and to be raised up on the third day. Boom. Next chapter. I don't think you're getting it. Let me tell you again. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be handed over to men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Unless there's too many children screaming and crying and you don't hear it, he has it again in chapter 20. And Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. He took his 12 disciples to the side by themselves on the road. And he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, making the turn from Jericho around that corner, and then ascending spiritually, physically ascending up into Jerusalem. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flog and crucify. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Again and again and again, Christ is telling them what will happen. And we're no different than the disciples. We need to be reminded of this weekly, daily, hourly. That all of our hope is in Christ and his resurrection. You have no other hope whatsoever. But in Christ and his resurrection alone. But then he goes on here. He is not here for he is risen just as he said. Come. Come. Come see the place where he lay. See, a magician, he'll hide his tricks. But God, 
begs you, come, look in the tomb. It's empty. Any doubts that you might have? Did it happen? Is this even possible? God is, bring them to God. Come, look in the tomb now. It's still empty. It's there. Go look in the tomb. God has conquered death through the resurrection. If you have any doubts, bring them to God. He has nothing to hide. It's not a trick. He's not a magician. No, he just sovereignly controls life and death. So it's not a game. Go to him. Any doubts you might have, bring them to him. Any unbelief you might have, bring it to him. And as he has conquered death, he will gladly conquer your heart as well. So, come, come and see the place where he lay. But then what do we do? We go. Then, verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Those who come and see the goodness and the glory of God will undoubtedly be compelled or be commissioned to go and to tell others about this goodness and this glory, to spread this good news of God. How foolish would we be to, to see this, to know about the resurrection, and then to hide it in and pull it in close to ourselves and watch everybody die, not able to peer into that empty tomb. We too must go and tell others. The world doesn't need more humanitarians. It doesn't. The world needs zealous and trained, godly women, godly men to go and to proclaim the gospel. That's what the world needs. And this imperative is for you. And this imperative is for you to train up your children to do the same. To be able to go and proclaim the good news. So, we see that these women, they come to the tomb expecting to behold death. Come mourning. But they see that it's... <laughs> There's this glorious angel there. And he tells him, no, Christ isn't here. Hey, not a big deal, but Christ isn't here, okay? He's risen from the dead. Well, oh, you're doubting me. Well, come, come, come in and look. And then why don't you go? Go and tell the disciples. And then they obey and they encounter Christ. Let's go back to the text here in verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear, obviously, and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there, they will, they will see me. How do you properly respond to these truths 
of the resurrection of Christ, great fear and great joy. Great fear. The mature Christian fears God. The more you know him, the more you love him, and the more you fear him. Just like someone who becomes familiar with a lion. You will fear him the more you know him. Vengeance will rain down. Not because he's carried away by his passions, but because God, he punishes sin. And will ultimately punish the unrepentant sinner in eternal fire. But it's not just this great fear, but then it's also great joy as well. This, this empty tomb is the spring of eternal joy. Can't you see it? The water's there just bubbling, just flowing out of this empty tomb. The waters of joy flowing out of them. What can, what can stop this? So your, your troubles, your sorrow, your struggles, or your strife, will it stop this great joy? Absolutely not. And then it happens. In verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshipped him. Take note that it's always Christ revealing himself to people. Just as in all of history, it's, it's not them finding Christ, it's Christ finding them. You see this in Luke 24 and then John 21 as well. It is always Christ taking the initiative to reveal himself to you. The fact that you're here is proof of that. You're not here because you want to be here. You're here because God is calling you to himself even this very moment. And it's a different body. But Mary Magdalene could never forget Christ has a different body. But Mary Magdalene could never forget the sound of the voice of him who cast out those demons from her. As our, our favorite 19th century Oxford preacher once said, we cannot fail to recognize when he speaks to us and speaks our name. When Christ speaks to you, you will answer and you will respond. And how do you respond? Let's just, what's the application here? How do you respond? What do you do with this? Humble worship, first and foremost. Humble worship. You want to know how to apply this text? You humble yourself. You go to the feet of Christ. You grab onto them. You weep. And you worship him. That's how you apply the resurrection. Cities. When someone comes and conquers them, the men of the city, the women of the and the children of the city will come and bow down and prostrate themselves before this conquering king. That's for someone who conquers a city. Now what about the man who conquers death? What's the proper response to that? Same thing. You come out, you bow yourself down, you prostrate yourself before him, and you worship. You bow your heart down before him now. That's a beautiful ending of a story. Number one, humble worship. What did we do with this text, right? Number two is 
I want you to see that the fruit of the resurrection is transformation. And when we talk about application here at Redemption, what we're, talking, what we're typically talking about is not more things that you should be doing that you undoubtedly don't do over the next coming week and then come back feeling guilty in the next Sunday. No, no, no. That's not what we try to do here with application. What we're trying to do is saying, if this is true, well, because, actually, because it is true, because the resurrection is true, what does that do to my life? What does the Spirit of Christ do in my heart because the resurrection is true? Number one, it compels you towards humble worship. Number two, it transforms you. How did Mary come? How did she come to the tomb? Empty? Dry heart with tears in her eyes? Comes without hope? Can you imagine the sorrow that they had and carried with them? All Friday afternoon, Friday evening, all day Saturday, through the night Saturday and into Sunday. When death falls on a home, when death falls upon a family, you lose all sense of bearing and you can't really process what's happening around you. You're just in a fog. But they're just walking, probably completely unaware of fully what's happened, but compelled by their devotion to Christ. That is how they come. But after the resurrection, how do they leave? Full of joy, full of hope, full of wonder, and full of worship. What happened? Well, the resurrection happened. It brings this complete transformation to who you are. You see the same thing with Peter. Denying Christ three times. Justin preached on this maybe six years ago. You should listen to it. Great sermon. Don't laugh. It was a great sermon. It was good. <laughs> Peter's denying Christ three different times. No, I, I don't know the man you're talking about. I do not know him. Oh, the slave girl. I know. I tell you again, I do not know him. Something happens. Well, the resurrection happens. Then very shortly, this Peter who had denied Christ three times, what do you see him doing? He's in the middle of the temple. Proclaiming for everyone to see. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This man, this Christ, Christ Jesus whom you crucified. What happened to Mary? Well, the resurrection happened and it transformed her completely. What happened to Peter? Well, the resurrection happened and transformed them completely. What happens to you? With the resurrection of Christ. Well, it transforms you completely. Going from death to life. How can it not change you? It changes everything. Your devotion, your affections, everything about you is transformed. Because of the resurrection. What does this bring out of you? Because the res resurrection is true. What does this bring out of you? Number one, humble worship. Number two, transforms you. Number three, it gives you hope. Because the resurrection is true, you have, not you long for, you have 
unending hope. And it's not the type of hope where you, you know how it goes, where you lie to yourself to try to convince yourself that this is going to happen. And so then you can have this hope, but you know it's false hope because it's built on the fact that you lied to yourself. You know what I'm talking about. No, it's the type of hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What's, what's going to happen? Is, what, is death going to come and shove Christ back in the tomb? That's not going to happen. Death is done. Christ has won. And because of this, because of the resurrection, you're able to come and stand quite securely on the edge of the tomb. And sing as we have already sung. Oh, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice that Christ is risen. And he is risen indeed. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for this amazing truth, God. We ask that you would work into us to come to you with humble worship, God. That we would come and put ourselves at the feet of Christ and worship him, God. We ask that this, the truth of this resurrection would transform our lives, God. And if we have doubts about this, if we haven't placed our trust in you, God, conquer our hearts. You have conquered death. Conquer our hearts as well, God. Reveal yourself to us. And God, as we leave here today, let us leave with this unending hope that is built not on our own strength, but on the work that you have wrought through Jesus Christ by raising him from the dead. And God, let us build everything we have upon this glorious resurrection. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.